Hey friends, and welcome new friends. My name is Megan, and this is my podcast, Pursuit of Unhappiness. For new listeners, each episode I talk to a guest or multiple guests about their own experiences in hopes to continue to uncover what the fuck this life is all about. Because does any one person really know? What I do know is that the more we uncover about our individual self, and that includes learning from one another, the closer we get to feeling what we're all looking for in life, and that's purpose, getting to know you individually. And it, it makes me feel really good that something I've said or shared is resonating and, I don't know, hopefully helps you in some way, shape, or form. When I mentioned before that I hoped Abby and I would go one direction and we went a completely different direction, um, I wanted to break that down a little bit because I've known Abby since 2016, and if you listen to the whole episode, you're probably going to really enjoy how we met. It's quite hilarious. Um, but I had always known Abby to be someone who just kind of goes after things, and she she's a go-getter, and she does a lot of amazing things. Um, so in knowing her, it reminded me of this concept called the third door. And this concept was introduced by a author, Alex. Um, I'm going to bastardize his last name, so I apologize. Um, Benayan, Benayan, B-A-N-A-Y-A-N. And when I first heard this, A, it, it sounded very familiar, um, like for Abby's story, but also it really resonated with me. So I wanted to share it with you in hopes that maybe it resonates with you too. So this third door concept is related to things about life, about business, about success. And the example that's used to describe it is a nightclub. Now, in a nightclub, let's look at this, that there's three doors to get in. The first door is the main entrance. It's the entrance where the line curves around the block and 99% of people wait around hoping to get in. The second door is the VIP entrance. It's where billionaires, celebrities, and people born into it slip in. But this third door is one that no one really talks about. And I love it being described like this. So the third door is when you jump out of line you run down the alley, you bang on that back door a hundred times, you break a window and you crawl in, but it's all because there's always another way to get in. And whether we're talking about, say, Bill Gates selling his first piece of software um, or Steven Spielberg being the youngest studio director in Hollywood history, they all took the third door. So that one that no one really talks about or tells you is, is there, but it's there. So if you're feeling stuck in this moment with making a decision, trying to achieve a goal, or looking for a new opportunity, remember the third door. And I have one anecdote that I want to share with you, kind of related to this. Um, so I started in the craft beer industry in 2010. And right around 2012, I was kind of thinking about leaving my job and moving to a bigger city that had a little bit more opportunity for this industry. And that next city was Pittsburgh. I was kind of browsing around 
I was seeing that not many places were hiring, like no one was posting about it. So what I decided to do (laughs) was update my resume and send it to literally every brewery in Pittsburgh that was open at that time. And um, compared to now, there might have only been 10 or 15 in the city, whereas compared we have over 40 now. Um, But I was like, no one's saying that they're hiring, but what would happen if I just said, hey, I've done this for the last couple years and I would love an opportunity to talk to you or work for you. And even if you're not hiring now, please consider me for a future role. And what happened was I got four or five emails, either sending up a meeting or at least making a connection and ended up landing my first job down here through that, which was pretty amazing. But what I'm really trying to say is take the shot because, I mean, what's the worst case? You don't hear from people or people say, hey, no, we're not hiring or, hey, no, that doesn't really seem to fit me. So, alrighty, folks, enjoy this episode with my friend, Abby Krisner, and be sure to have a pen and a piece of paper handy because I assure you there are a lot of really good nuggets in this one that you're going to want to remember, blah, blah, blah. All right. Enjoy. And I love you all. Well, welcome back to another episode of Pursuit of Unhappiness. I'm so stoked to be sitting down with you, Abby. I'm stoked to be sitting down with you, if we're being honest. This is one of the cooler, one of the cooler things I get to do on a Sunday morning. Yeah. (laughs) And my earliest interview I've ever done. I was really surprised that you're a morning person. Because I would think you are. Yeah, I would go to work. I mean, lately it's been I go to work at 4 a.m. No kidding. Yeah. So well, then we're we're more similar than I thought. I kind of yeah. assumed that in the brewing world that it would just be a little bit more like like the food and drink service industry where mm-hmm. like things get pretty wild and they last <laughs> for a long time. You know, in my world, things do get a little wild, but I still go to bed at 830. <laughs> <laughs> and my that's girl. <laughs> There you are. I need at least six to eight, seven and a half hours and I'm I'm pretty good. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, I've always liked working early. I think it's more so because I find most of my productive time to be early afternoon. So if I need to get stuff done after work, if it's after five o'clock, somehow my body's just like, you're good. You're done for the day. Yeah. So this is wind down time. I like working early because I am not interrupted. Yes. Because everyone is mm-hmm. still just in a coma. And so I even like I'll do show prep, but then I actually start my show. And by the time my coworkers wake up, they have about five to six emails probably <laughs> from me of the random things yeah. that I thought of while I was getting started in the yeah. day. So I like that because then I'm, you know. I'm like, well, I'm done. Yeah. No, <laughs> I, I love my things. <laughs> it was always one of my favorite things. Because um, right now my job, I'm not really brewing as much. But before I would like go to work at like 6 a.m. when I was working at Rock Bottom. No one's there. It's a restaurant. No one's there until at least eight or nine o'clock in the morning. So I would like be brewing and blasting music. Mm-hmm. And it was always, I still found it funny because I startle really easily. But <laughs> I would like turn around from be like in a flow mode to seeing someone there like holy crap what is happening <laughs> and uh, then it's never got used to it but it was always fun because being able to blast things and not have to worry about oh, opening yeah. the door and all the guests hearing screaming yes you know it's always really nice yeah 
so, so now that we have that introduction yes. out of the way, um, so Abby, uh, for anyone who actually doesn't know who you are, do you want to tell the folks like what you do, sure. who you are? Um, I am the sole morning show host on 105.9 The X. So I do the morning show. And within the last year, I became the program director of the radio station. That's so dude. Which is dope. Nuts. That's, yeah. It's nuts. Was that like, do you have just like extra work now? Or has it shifted so that like some of work shifted to someone else? Or I was just curious about that. Because it's almost like, yeah, well, I'm also now this. It's pretty bananas. Like I, was, <laughs> I actually... And you, you might get this, too, that, like, some things in your life just are. Mm. And you don't realize that they sound absurd until you tell them to someone else. And then sure. they, they go, like, oh, wow, that sounds really hard. And you're like, <laughs> no, I just do it, though. Um, right. So I've, I was the assistant program director for about seven years. And so that just kind of always meant I had someone else to manage up to or multiple people to manage up to. Sure. Um. And those, you know, that was always a good relationship, too. So it wasn't like I, you know, managing up, meaning that I had to, like, BS with somebody. It was mm-hmm. always, it was like a really good, um, simpatico relationship. But that was just a structural change in iHeart. He didn't do anything wrong. They just were like, we're putting you over here mm-hmm. and we're bumping her up. And so what I love about it now is that my day is really, really long. But there's a difference between, like feeling like you're a jock and and then feeling like you're the parent of this operation sure so when i get a phone call at one in the morning or Mm. if i something goes wrong and it needs fixed i'm not i when i have to do those things i don't go why do i have to do this i go this is mine right of course i want to do this absolutely like i i want this to work well i Mm -hmm. want it to be like i want it to be as perfect as that can be which is that's kind of a elusive word anyway and kind of a bs word too it's almost like the expectations like once you shift into knowing that everything around you is under you yes i think it changes the mindset of that you go into it because i definitely could relate to that in from like when i had to answer to someone versus everyone answering to me yeah i'm like well uh if the problem happens then i know it's my responsibility or if anyone like has an issue or anything i it's almost like i sometimes describe feeling like a mama bear in a lot of my roles like taking that personal responsibility for everyone's growth and making sure things stay on track. But when you're in that role, it's like you're going to with the expectation that that's just what's going to happen. So even when unpredictable, unpredictable things happen, you still are able to look at it with a cool head almost. I think so too, which I didn't totally expect. I think I'm more, I'm, I'm wound a bit more tight and more prone to anxiety so i always like joke i don't need to go up i need to come down Mm. and um i thought that being in this position was only going to amp that up Mm -hmm. and it was going to make me just spiral you know be like oh well guess i'm never sleeping again because um my brain doesn't really settle Mm -hmm. and i don't i don't go like oh i'm done for the day i did a very good job um i'm always like what happens tomorrow and am i ready for it and yeah um I'm surprised at how much by the end of the day, maybe it's the, maybe it is because it's exhaustive, mm-hmm. but that's like actually good for my brain sure. to be like, we did so much stuff today. Like there's nothing in the tank and the only option for you right now is to sleep. <laughs> like yeah. that's it. 
when you walked into that position, um, were you able to shift things to even to work better for you now that you kind of have a little bit more control? So any sort of shortcoming or pain point that you experienced before and you're like, well, now I'm responsible for it. So now I can make it work better for me or for my team. Yes and no. Like some legit uh, programming decisions. Mm-hmm. It's very nice to not have, you know, any beyond me i mean like i shouldn't say that because there's always somebody above you who's gonna go like why are you doing that exactly um but i feel again very much like parental for it where i i know that there are certain things that maybe like as long as i have a good explanation for doing them Mm -hmm. i can get past and i can do them uh and so that got easier Mm -hmm. where i'm going you know i used to agonize over like should i play this or should i not play this and now i'm going do you think you should then do it dummy? Like, you know, why are we fighting ourselves here when this is what we wanted? Mm -hmm. You know, this is what we wanted to be able to do is going, I have grown up with this station. I feel deeply connected to it. And the big drive on even wanting to work in radio or specifically work for the X was, I remember listening to it and being like, I'm gonna oh wait until wait until I'm working there. Mm-hmm. Like I'm gonna do some things. <laughs> yeah. I am gonna make it like killer. Mm-hmm. And so now we're here, you know? And mm-hmm. so what's the point of you know, not? What's the point of being a baby about it or being like, right. I'm afraid. Yeah. So now that got easier. My day didn't get easier in terms of like my schedule. What I tend to find is like that early morning kicks off like <sighs> pretty intense and then i have a dead period in the middle of the day sure and then it picks back up at like 2 p.m until about seven or eight Mm -hmm. because all of my west coast people are awake now sure and they want to have a phone call and you're like great fantastic (laughs) has being able i know you pretty much had to shift to working from your house now Mm -hmm. due to the pandemic but is it is this going to kind of be something that stays as is because maybe it's even more easy to like live and like have that balance i think so yeah i my i anticipate that it will be like this until it doesn't work until there's opportunity that i need to be in the studio to have an interview face to face with somebody like that would change it but outside of that like from the managerial part of it if i have to have a meeting i'll go in and have a meeting but i don't see why i need you know the offices are even shifting to where instead of having like my own office that closes like i can close the door and think mm-hmm. uh, now it's going to be like very communal and just cubicles. And I'm like, well, damn, man, I can <laughs> not have privacy in a bunch of places. Sure. Or, you know, yeah. might as well stay home. So mm-hmm. I do think it's going to stay like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all about productivity, too. I, that's kind of the way I feel with my crew of jocks as well, too. It's like if you're productive mm-hmm. and quite frankly, for me, creative space, I find it's easier to do from here because I'm as disarmed as I can possibly be in my own home that I don't overthink things. There's a more of a performance aspect. I think when you're in the studio and there's one other really talented people all around you. Mm -hmm. And then also, you know, you're around the equipment. It's like being on a stage versus practicing your you know sure your band or whatever like by yourself you're mm-hmm. like I'm, I'm i'm as cool as i'm gonna be when i'm by myself <laughs> <laughs> I like that phrase yeah 
I feel like that's the ultimate goal for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like it's, yeah. it's, I remember I did, I did an interview with somebody where I remember saying like, you know, you spend all this time, like when you're a little kid, like singing into your hairbrush. Yeah. Right. And then when you actually get the chance to be in front of people, not singing in front of your hairbrush and into a microphone, yeah. the natural tendency is to like shrink a little bit sure. and like not take up too much space. Yeah. And so it's nice to be like, no, do it now. Right. Like, do it now. See what it feels like. Right. Yeah. And it's like almost that practice of like, you can then turn around. The more you do it, the more comfortable you get. But another, and it was obviously, I think it was on a TikTok, actually, because that's what I do <laughs> that's, now. No, this is who I am. Okay. <laughs> um, it, but it was similar to what you just said, where like, you have to be cooler than me hanging out with myself for me to want to give you that energy. And I was like... <laughs> I felt it so deeply, yeah, you know? I like that. Yeah. Um, I wanted to maybe bounce back slightly when you were talking about even, like, questioning yourself, like, maybe previously. Yeah. But I was curious now in your role, like, do you see that in other people? And is there any way you address it, maybe even as a mentor, like, for yeah. younger jocks? I have two now, and they're, like, to say that they're new, I don't, you know... They they're owed more than that. They're they're new compared to me, but they um, have been working at this for a long time. But I've had to remind them too. It takes a long time to declutter what you think is expected of you versus what you actually are that makes you mm. valuable. Yeah. And so I think I had a. I want to say, <laughs> I think I took like maybe five years to drop my pretenses of what I thought a jock on the X was supposed to sound like mm -hmm. prior to me, there was a male in the, like, so I started in the night shifts. Okay. Um, and prior to me, there was always a male in that spot. Okay. And the majority of the station was all male too. Mm -hmm. And so having grown up listening to it and like nineties radio is like a completely different animal than sure. what I think is good radio now. Mm -hmm. Um, but I was just under this impression, like that's what you were supposed to be like, which is like maybe a little more caustic, a little bit more like constant middle finger stuff, mm -hmm. but like, um, more sensational mm -hmm. and, uh, polarizing even is probably like, some of them, you know, just come up like, I'm too cool to be here, man. Mm -hmm. um, and so the first like few years, I mean, if I, thank God nobody's played me an air check, but I I probably would be horrified at the put on mm -hmm. of it of to try to basically sound like what I thought a man would sound like if they were doing this, because like that was also my early insecure way of dismantling other people yeah being like you can't hurt me i'm tough shit man you know totally dude <laughs> oh my gosh that stuck so close to home but i was curious if we can unpack it and like how to what was it that got you away from that i can't remember oh well i had a boss like my boss did tell me that the reason why he took so long to hire me is because the air checks that i was giving him were of me trying to sound like somebody else instead mm. of me being the person that he saw whenever I was in his office and begging for a job. Sure. You know, and, um, I think it's just time. I think you have to like over and over watch yourself do things the wrong way. Sure. Um, or 
that when you get done doing something that you've hyped up for and you keep asking yourself, why do I not feel good about it? Why, like, why did I, why didn't that bring me peace then? Right. If I did such a great job or I exercised mm-hmm. the demon, like, why does it not feel good to sit with it? Why yeah. am I embarrassed of it? Sure. And so I think that that's probably just like time over and over again of like watching back an interview and going, Ugh, I didn't even want to laugh at that dumb joke. Why did I do that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, or why did I accommodate that person? They sucked. Mm-hmm. Like, why was I? Why did I have to end up feeling like a goofball because that person sucked? Yeah. Um, and you just do it over and over again and you get to a point where you're like, okay, I'm not going to, that's not worth it to me anymore. So now I'm my getting back to kind of part of the question originally is like when I talk to my jocks now, like, um, I know that one of the things I told them is like, you should think like you almost need to do a little bit of your own theater of the mind. If you were driving in the car with your best friend mm-hmm. and you were in the passenger seat, like what would you be talking to them about today? Non-specific, not being like, my it's crazy on Facebook. It's just like, <laughs> which way hey, maybe you can make something out of that, but yeah. you would be talking about, you know, like, hey, the Steelers game, you see the line last weekend, you know, or whatever it was. But you, right. but also think about how you would say it. Sometimes, like, you know, I growl when I'm on the air. I have like a little bit of I'm like, what? I'm like yelling and stuff. <laughs> but and you know me. Yeah, <laughs> I do talk like that. Yeah. You know, um, and I've always told them the more that you can get comfortable in like how you actually sound, the more mm-hmm. you will be pleased with your show every day you're done with it because you'll never have to get up to do it you will Mm -hmm. already be up because it's who you are yeah you don't have to serve anything i i love it so much because i think sometimes like when we decide to have a career like it it can become part of who you are so it's like an extension but it might not be exactly who you are and i knew for years and i probably just now in the last like couple years found this comfort and trying to be as authentic as possible like within my role in the craft beer industry mm-hmm. and it, this will probably turn into a question for you but i was um what i experienced a lot was that i felt like i always had to kind of perform for like consumers or other colleagues and like had to be a certain type of person to fit in or feel like i belonged in the whole situation and with beer there's this thing where it's like everything always has to be a party you know Oh, it's like, we're not going to sit down and drink and then just like play piano and, you know, like (laughs) read sense and sensibility. Yeah, we're not going to leave fucking poetry. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so I and I feel like in the last couple of years being in the role I'm at, I was able to like back out a little bit of being in the limelight of things. And like, I didn't have to be the face for that company. And I think it's allowed me to feel more comfortable now going back into it. Do you where, know where that came from for you? Um, as far as how well, that progression happened, oh, where you're just like, I don't have to do this. I think it was because like right after my divorce, I was really fucking depressed. Like, and it wasn't the divorce that was the depression. It was like everything leading up to that point f- did not feel like me at mm-hmm. all. And so every moment since then has been like, how do I just unlock and let the real Megan be here and be present with people and it took a lot of therapy it took like really trying to focus on some like self-help ideas and like mindfulness has been a big thing too um 
so with what I look now is trying to be really present with every moment and just be honest, like communicate. I think like getting more comfortable communicating exactly how I feel in that moment with everyone around me. Um, but it was a practice too, yeah. I should say. It's not like it happens overnight. It is a constant practice of going through really uncomfortable situations with people to understand like what you meant when you said something or how you felt when that thing happened. Um, so yeah, I feel like it, it wasn't ever one thing. It was the culmination of so many things. And there is, and in my mind, like there is no one path to that mindfulness. I do a lot of journaling too, talking to people and like that. I think that really brought it out where now I refuse to do anything that doesn't feel right. Like if it's yeah. an obligation, I'm not probably not going to do it. So you brought that up in the context of even like a relationship. And it's, it's weird because this probably is, I think it's part of my journey on a professional level too, but the same way that, you know, you say like you, it's, it's over and over again of doing things the wrong way mm -hmm. that then puts you in the mindset to not accept less from yourself. Sure. So like I've had in like past relationships that I would say were profoundly damaging or just like, you know, the ones that, you know, are still like tough to really get into. Sure. And chew on for a little bit. Mm -hmm. I would have like, you know, a relationship that would end and then like maybe have like a year of being so angry at that person mm -hmm. for doing that to me. Sure. And only in the last like few years you know the further you get away from it the easier it is to like think about but i remember somebody saying like yeah he was a dick right and i said yeah but it takes two people to mm. really mess that up and as much as he was lying to me on the surface mm -hmm. i was lying to me too mm -hmm. and i have no idea why he would have treated me better when i was treating myself like such a piece mm. of shit i've just got chills when you said that yeah uh because i feel like trusting your own instincts on things is something that takes forever to even realize. Yeah. Like I think about it in context of like past relationships of, I knew that this person, like they weren't outwardly lying to me about things, but they weren't, their actions weren't showing that they gave a flying fuck about who mm -hmm. I was. And I felt that, but I didn't trust that that was actually happening because it wasn't yeah. like blatantly in my face. So even now I, I, it's still a process of trying to learn how to trust how I feel about something. And I still find myself questioning that, like, as like now being single again, I'm like getting, putting myself back out there and I'm like, yeah, but okay. Is this, is this really going on? Or I mean, is this person treating me how I need to be treated? Is yeah. it, am I okay with this? But it's that constant check-in with myself even now, but with I really liked what you said about that, that there's always like kind of this, there's always two people involved when it comes to that relationship. And when I started learning about stoicism, what it's put in my mind and I apply to like being a manager to my relationships is like, well, what am I bringing to this? Like, what am I, however far that is, whether it's 20, what 20% am I bringing to this? What 50% mm -hmm. or maybe even what 70% am I bringing to this interaction that's causing it to have this other outcome? being able to recognize what what it is like what am i doing you know and how is that impacting this and you hope that the other person is doing the exact same thing so and i feel like 
I have, when I've been able to talk to people who are able to recognize that their end of it, that's when you start seeing this like forward progression. Well, you see the forward progression because, you know, in that, like, if I was using that relationship as an example, man, mm -hmm. it's an example, but sure. it happened over and over and over again yeah. of me meeting the expectation mm -hmm. of what that person was attracted to in me, not sure. all of me, but you know, they, oh, they like that. I'm, I'm really like aggressive or sure. I'm, they like that. I'm tough yeah. or they like that, whatever. Um, and realizing you can't keep that up either. And so I, you know, I, I was thinking about that. I'm like, did that person treat me badly because they knew I was giving them mm -hmm. this much of me? Because with, with Joe, my husband, like, I remember like, you know, every, you, you know, meet somebody that you know that you want to spend forever with or, or whatever, you know, tells you that that's your person, mm -hmm. um, you know, and it's all very lovely and easy at first. Mm -hmm. And then what I did right with Joe that I think I never did before mm -hmm. is that when something started to go the wrong direction, I would go, hey, that makes me feel like shit when you do that. Hmm. Or like, I don't want that. Is that what you want? Because that's not what I want. And if that's not, you know, then not I don't want to, sure. you know, and it was more like, again, finally getting to that point where you're going, this means so much to me. I'm not going to do this halfway or I'm mm -hmm. not going to give you a third of me. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to only show you the part that I would show anybody else. Right. I, I really like that, too, because I feel like do you and I do want to ask, like, was it did it feel just instantaneous or did you feel safe enough in that environment to be able to say that where maybe in the past you weren't because I'm always curiously like, because I it seems to me like it could be a progressive thing that like okay over time you start practicing asking for what you need speaking out but I also think it could happen instantaneously if like the person you're with is make creates a safe space for Definitely you to exist a safe space that's a really good way of putting it because I think that like um past relationships you're almost like worried like if i take off uh this is going to sound very dramatic but if i like take off the mask if i take off the boots if i take <laughs> off like the kid's costume basically <laughs> like do you like what's underneath that mm -hmm. and with joe what was great is that we had been friends for probably about eight years um and we were really tight with each other and we uh, just never dated because I was off making a thousand terrible decisions. Sure. <laughs> you know, I did too much busy work to just destroy other people's lives. Mm -hmm. And then um, when it was time, whatever that means, whenever it was right there, it was the safest space I'd ever been in. Sure. And um, Joe's the first time in my life that ever I ever told somebody that I loved them. Wow. And I, said it first mm -hmm. and I said it knowing that he could crush me into a million mm. pieces, but there was enough trust there that I didn't think he would. Yeah. And he had a great response. He said, I've loved you since the day I met you. Oh my God. And I was like, well, <laughs> this is this the cutest is, love story I've ever heard. Here oh we go. God. Let's go. That's awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's awesome. That makes me really happy. <laughs> I know, just like from the good. Yeah, just like this is just great. Um, I I always want to unpack, but I don't want to like overstep my boundaries with that. Overstep. Too. This is <laughs> this space is all for overstepping. I know. I feel so comfortable and relaxed out here. You um, should. I guess if we want to, since we're going this route, 
um, before we dive into anything else, because there's so much we could dive into today. Um, what are things that even now with the longevity, because you and Joe have been together, what, like, I'm such a piece of crap for not knowing. I think it we've been married like for, time. I think we've been married for eight years. Okay. Or we're coming up on eight. Okay. But again, the friendship like was sure a lot, a long time. Yeah. Um, do you two have any sort of either routines or practices that you two maintain to kind of keep that healthy dynamic over time? Like whether it's like a date night every week, uh, a monthly check-in or anything like that. So we, we go back and forth between being really, really good at that and then abominable and like just terrible with it. Like, sure. Um, so I think the thing that honestly, and I don't think that Joe would mind me saying so, but like we both go to therapy mm-hmm. and we use what we learn in therapy very in earnest. And so mm-hmm. um, the beginning of the pandemic this is a good example of like the things and the tools that you can get in therapy. And if you're willing to put it into your life for real, um, and not just thinking that the hour that you get in therapy is like a vent session and then you go on with your day, Mm -hmm. the beginning of the pandemic. Um, and we knew that we were really, you know, especially with Edie and she wasn't in school yet. And she's, um, she was, I guess three at the time. Oh my God, we've been in a pandemic for a very long time. Um, is that, we sat down after we had put her to bed, we got out some paper and we wrote down realistic expectations for each other as we move through this brand new territory. Mm-hmm. We wrote expectations of what we needed in personal time mm-hmm. and what, like alone time because it didn't seem like we were going to be getting much alone time sure. anymore and expectations for our family, like how much of our time needs to be now put towards family time. Mm-hmm. And then what do we expect from each other? Like, what do I expect from you as my partner? Mm-hmm. And it was like, that sounds pretty analytical and neither one of us are analytical. Mm-hmm. We're actually both pretty like hippie, frilly, you know, <laughs> granola crunchy people um but like that's the kind of stuff that we Mm -hmm. would do or um in in an argument and we actually this is the other thing joe and i don't fight enough like we barely fight Mm -hmm. but sometimes that's problematic okay because you just hope that something like goes away Mm -hmm. and generally it never goes away it just like is the little like dirt you swept under the carpet and then the next thing you know there's like a bunny warren mound like (laughs) sitting there and being like we should probably check that out right um (laughs) but what we've learned to do again having been in respective therapies is that you know joe might say something to me that i'm not willing to receive at that moment and he'll go i'm turning towards you right now Mm. and i'm me going okay yeah no okay all right i got it like and it's just like almost like terminology that signals to somebody like i'm not your boogeyman like i'm not your bad guy here Mm. i want this to work as bad as you do so i'm using this terminology to like snap you out of it like Mm -hmm. snap you into the you know out of the hypnosis so that you can recognize i'm just trying to do right by you yeah to to like look at what you what you've just said i love actually what you guys did before the pandemic and it was in my mind i'm like wow that sounds so freaking healthy it's healthy it's uh, and um because i had heard from other like podcasters and other like kind of self-help type people that and i and i've like tried to verbalize applying it it just never happened because my last partner just uh 
wasn't into it. Yeah. But it's like that check-in, like whether it's monthly, quarterly, whatever it is, it does feel almost like it's like this business transaction. Yeah. But at the same time, what I like about it and, and I've seen, and I would love to do in future relationships is you're creating this space that you already know exists so you're not holding on to anything. So if you need that space to say something, you don't have to work up the energy to say it mm-hmm. because you don't have that involved. You're literally like, okay, once a month, I at least know that I get to sit down and say the things I need to say because I'm not necessarily always comfortable saying them all the other time, you know? Yeah. Um, and usually the way I see it happen is that they'll say like, okay, write down things that you think I'm doing really well. Um, write down things that you uh want to see from me um and i feel like those are the main two i'm trying to think i feel like there's a third one but it regardless it's a check-in and i think you guys doing that i i literally i think that was that's really really cool it's nice and it's again it's like i said it sounds transactional Mm -hmm. and in a lot of ways like if you if you want to get into it with marriage like yes soul connection yes Mm -hmm. uh you know building whatever life that you wanted or you imagined or whatever you think is possible Mm -hmm. and also um sometimes a little bit of ground rules cuts out a lot of the fat of the stuff that like you know things will change a million times in your marriage and Mm -hmm. in your life but even when we were dating um one of the things i actually hold on to now is like I'm, i'm lucky to have had this experience that when joe and i like actually would say that we like fell in love with each other. He lived in Texas. Oh, wow. So he didn't live here. Mm-hmm. And so the majority of the foundation of what became a marriage was long, long conversations sure. about what you wanted. Mm-hmm. There was a night that Joe, we were on the phone with each other for a really long time. And he said, okay, let's hang up, but I'm going to send you an email and it's going to say, like five categories. Okay. And I want you to just write whatever you think about those categories. And then deadline is midnight and we have to send it back to each other at the same time. Oh, wow. And I said, okay. And so he sent the email and it said, uh, sex, religion, money, children, like it was all like the major oh, pillars like, yeah. of like, what do you want out of your life? It was sure. like big stuff. Mm. And so, you know, just started like spouting it out, you know, mm-hmm. and just being like, okay. And then just wrote it all out. We sent it to each other and we found that we were like majorly aligned on all of that stuff. He's like, oh my God, I feel so much better. Yeah. And I was just kind of like, that's fantastic because again, there was no net. Mm-hmm. right right you know because if you're like i want seven kids and then they're yeah. like i hate children you'll be like okay glad we got that out of the way you know? yeah. this is gonna be a conversation now yeah. <laughs> no uh, that that's actually really cool i also like that it's almost like with the way it comes off is like okay ready set go yeah like, don't think about it just don't think about the, it let's just do this and stuff like that yeah i think that's really cool i I feel like with relationships, you're talking about the foundation being like that communication. I feel like to me, when I see anything, whether you are talking about an interpersonal relationship with a partner or like work and having that communication, being able to express, I think creates really strong binds between people. Yeah. And I think it gets undervalued, especially now. I think about anyone who's like my age or slightly younger. It's like. Why is communication so hard? It's, oh, it's because we're on social media all the time and we're learning how to communicate through social media. In 140 characters or whatever it is now. Yeah. Versus also 
I also noticed, I don't know if you have, maybe I'm like derailing this also. Derail. Yeah. I also feel like it's hard to find a lot of people who know how to express how they actually feel. I get a little, like, it's a little caveman to me, and it's only because I've had at least minimum of six years with the same therapist and, like, doing the the work. And um, so when I, like have friends who are like oh i talked to my partner about going to therapy and they think it's stupid or whatever and Mm. everything and i'm like that's a bummer man like i wish i could fast forward that for you but what i would suggest to you is you should go Mm -hmm. don't wait on your partner to go right you are either going to lead them and show them the way like and show them that you will take care of yourself which may end up in them treating you better or Mm -hmm. you, you know you treating yourself better and then you won't accept less right um or you'll get so comfortable, yeah, in your own self-growth and actualization that you won't need them anymore. Yeah. You know? That's it's huge. Just, um, it's a, yeah, it is a bummer when you can't, like, somebody, the, the, the vulnerability is just such, um, I, I don't know, like a no-go territory for them. Mm-hmm. Because that's all it is, is like, can you can you be vulnerable and like mm-hmm. I'm making it sound maybe like it's easier to do than it is because I think it took me a long time to be vulnerable but once yeah. you get to that headspace you're like oh this is like way easier yeah I, I think when I walked into my first therapy session the moment she asked me why I was there I just started crying <laughs> I was like <laughs> that's so, always good. But that, <laughs> so like that like I, like that's me but uh I've heard like from a lot of people I think like especially if they're guarded it can take a while just to even like break down that door to like yeah. dive into the stuff so I, I think I can understand especially if whatever trauma you're bringing into that situation if you've never had a safe space to like actually express things now you have a stranger who has no actual ties to you mm. who you have to tell things to and hope that they're going to give you maybe a couple of nuggets to work with. Yeah. But I do like how when you said that you take what you learn in therapy and apply it because I've also met some people where I've seen them interpret it's like well therapy is just you doing the work and I again I go back to when I talk about my entire journey it's like no therapy was a piece of it. Yes. Like what is therapy without the practice? And the practice is your life, yeah. right? So there's a yeah. bunch of moments where it's like, it felt really good to be in the room with my therapist and shadow box this situation. Mm-hmm. Now it's here, right? Can I do it? And so um, it, it, you kind of brought up too that like, you know, you've been working through trauma because what people perceive is their trauma, right? Mm-hmm. So trauma doesn't have to be like what movies and television have told you trauma is. right? You know, trauma is you... You, the child you not getting something that you perceived you needed you got you used a really good word boogeyman too like yeah. when you talked about how you yeah. and joe talk i really that stuck in my head too yeah i'm not gonna be your boogeyman like your mm-hmm. boogeyman's already exist right and again with like relationships too you tend to mirror each other mm-hmm. a lot too and so um what you what you need and sometimes you do need a boogeyman and you can you can make your partner that person for you or you can assign a lot of blame to them you can assign them the the worst possible parts Mm -hmm. of your imagination because they're either going to leave you or they're going Mm -hmm. to hurt you and meanwhile if you can you do the work and and 
give them the chance to answer for that mm-hmm. or give them the chance to say, what the fuck are you talking about? I don't right. feel like that about you or I don't want to do that to you or that's right. not my intention with you. And like, whew, there's lots of. There's so much on back there. There's um, a ton. And honestly, with the trauma thing, too, with mm-hmm. therapy, my therapist and I laugh that I was, ta- uh, you know, in therapy with them for like maybe five years before I unpacked a serious trauma that I brought up once. Mm-hmm. We dealt with it and we have never brought it up again. Wow. And I and we laugh about it because i'm like remember that one time when i hit you with that (laughs) yeah did you want to talk about that anymore no i felt that felt really good that was good for me thank you like i just said it it was five years of being like okay well now that we have the context of that we have a lot of things that make sense now don't we you know what i something very similar happened to me but i i realized it was more so okay going through the whole like process of post-divorce i'm trying to do all self-help i I was definitely adopting a lot of verbiage. So like even when I would talk to my therapist, I feel like maybe sometimes I sounded like another therapist talking to them because in my mind, I just wanted to have the right words to express how I what I was thinking. But it wasn't until it was within the last year I brought up a situation and it, it bounced back to my marriage and she was like you really haven't unpacked that and you have and what what I realized I was doing is that I would talk about situations happening but I would never talk about so like exclusively how I felt about it all the time so I would be like because a lot of the times I would be like I would be talking about things that already happened so in my mind I don't kind of already processed it they're your so, stories yeah they're yeah. my stories of this is what happened but I wasn't going into actually the feeling of it all all the time I would at times but in some more serious situations I didn't go into detail of everything that happened and how it made me feel and yeah. I was like oh shit yeah like so it's definitely put I keep them in the front of my mind especially when I only go once a month now but so when I am like going through things that I need to talk about I try to be like this is how it made me feel yeah you know and really focus on me exclusively not just like okay this is how I processed it yeah did I do a good job therapist yeah you know? <laughs> well you know the, do I did I do a good job therapist and the wanting to know the terminology um speaks to me in that um you know I'm an A student yeah, <laughs> I am an A student. I like to get an A. I I enjoy um, verbal praise for having done a good job. I am a bit of a perfectionist. A yeah. Bit. Um, and it took me a long time to realize that I was not responsible for entertaining my therapist. Mm-hmm. You know, I was not responsible for preserving what I am or who I am to my therapist. Yeah. My therapist's job yeah and you know honoring what they have spent their life doing and accepting that you know they're the best person for the gig is saying i don't have to worry if you want to be friends with me after this Mm, i don't have to worry that like when we get done with this session that you're gonna go i'm just pretty fucked up (laughs) (laughs) i don't have to worry about that anymore so like remember hipaa can't yeah be like oh man i love some hipaa (laughs) <laughs> uh, like do you have some like people pleaser tendencies because mm-hmm. i was like exactly i mean not to mention like what you do for a living and kind of having to perform in a lot of ways and you're a musician so yeah. i'm just curious if like 
how like do you still feel like you do that you still find yourself I'm having better time? at not yeah but i there was a book that i um read a long time ago i'm not gonna remember the author that was called the disease to please oh wow okay and it was going through like one of the anecdotes in that book was talking about um, a mother who had um a bunch of children like she's in you know let's say she's in her like 60s now and and the, they're having thanksgiving dinner together and she slaved over it she made sure that everybody was accommodated she um you know she did just everything to make it perfect mm -hmm. and her adult children were there and they were all kind of like ragging on her and making fun mm. of her and all these like funny things that mom does with mom's crazy kind of thing yeah and it broke her heart because she was thinking like i give everything to these people and they think i'm a joke like right. they just make fun of me and then the the dig in that was that in this effort to people please and provide and do all this stuff that she basically made herself a martyr and lived in that martyr role mm -hmm. and it made them not respect her Wow. Because it was kind of that doormat thing mm -hmm. where it's like, mom will do whatever I ask. Right. And it taught people how to treat her. And so she was like floored when she realized that she was the butt of the joke instead mm -hmm. of being like this revered, adored person for yeah. anticipating everybody's needs and doing that. And that teaches you like a little bit of, you know, the must nots with relationships. It's like, don't martyr and don't mother very true very hard to do too. holy crap right that that struck home yeah yeah like even just looking at my past relationships i would go into caretaker mode all the time i would go into like i almost felt like a mother at times and but that's been my walk away from it and what i love in talking about being that doormat and you become the butt of the joke when you don't set boundaries for yourself and waste which granted that's not your fault either like this is just what you feel it's like how you're learning yeah yeah but the moment you start setting those boundaries is like I and I've experienced it where people like will start respecting that those boundaries. And so it's like when you have that fear that someone's going to walk away because you set a boundary, it's kind of like almost having to look at it like you have to accept that. Mm -hmm. But it, the people who are going to walk away are the people that probably shouldn't be in your life in ways or they need to you need to rearrange that relationship almost. Yeah. And um, it, it's so it's so hard. Like I, I still find myself slight having slight tendencies of it, but yeah, it's, it's hard better. not to, I think, um, I, I did that too. And I, I feel like almost like a lot of early relationships and this might not just be like a femme thing. Like it might just be and everything, but I always felt like that too. I was always like the, for whatever reason, like a loving relationship had something to do with either fixing somebody else or taking the burdens from them and showing them the life they could have. Cause that was my role. Yeah. And then I'm like, Oh, now that sounds like so exhausting. Like I told yeah. Joe, if you leave me, I'm getting a thousand cats. I'm not doing this again. Cause I can't, <laughs> I can't do that. I can't start over and be like, Oh, oh let man. me fix you. It's like, no, I'm not doing any of that. I'd be like, well, you look like a lot of work. I can't do that right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, uh, after this most recent breakup, I'm just like, it's definitely been mentally handicapped like handy handicapping yeah. to like think about dating again and i was on bumble for 40 minutes and i was like nope i'm nope. done i'm done well because like, like now you see now you see like and this is probably part of the relationship thing too is like you have gone through and it's like the royal you but yeah. like you've gone through so many things that ended up being for one in one way or another unacceptable sure and so now you see them coming like freight train like yeah. now you see them coming from a mile away and you're going no like so <laughs> like now if i see a guy that like has like no chest hair and like a ton of time to work out i go no 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 no. i know who you are 
yeah, I almost think too though that it, it's and it makes me fearful. And I try to find ways. I almost like want to come up. So this is my brain. I want to come up with like a list of questions, like when I go on date to like really break through that initial like face that some guys like put on yeah to like i'm better than i actually am it's like no just tell me the shitty like show me the shitty stuff too yeah like i want to see that right from the beginning yes. like you know break it down i you don't you know because if i like it then i'll still like it you know yes um <laughs> i i had a my entire 20s was spent dating tortured artists so like there's everything you need to know like completely yeah. misreading mm -hmm. that um volatile people are passionate and mm. passionate means love oh god it's like no it doesn't <laughs> i i feel like you're just reading my mind i literally had this conversation with someone um yesterday about oh how i don't because i was i was applying it to like the conversation but also to like work and stuff that i was looking at through the lens that i don't think real love is this like hit you over the head i can't stand up i can't do anything besides thinking about that thing i feel like you find like real love in like the subtlety of with the connection whether it is a job whether it is a person and i think we're fed so much that it is this like overwhelming like you're gonna know right off the bat mm -hmm. you're gonna like it's you're gonna like not be able to eat sleep whatever bullshit cliches like come across but i truly feel like real love that's sustaining is like subtle it's, it is it's subtle and it's kind and it's maybe a little mediocre too from the outside listen i've told joe before that like you know i i was in a trap thinking that if love was not um in some ways painful that it was somehow diluted and it wasn't worth it and love with joe like the thing that i think of like the very first thing i think of in the rorschach test of this is him at my old house and we were like meeting up like i think he had flown in to spend a weekend with me mm -hmm. and the first thing he said is want to get on our softy pants <laughs> and i was like do you want to get married right now yeah <laughs> pretty much because it was like not somebody who was kind of yeah. like all right we're in love let's light the candles and let's yeah. get down to it he was like want to put on our softy pants and order a pizza and we're like huh <laughs> i do and that is it's a kind of like piece that you get like you know even I don't think I had a real like even thought or decision on children or anything like that. But like when once I reached a place of peace, there was like an internal nesting for me, too, that was like, mm -hmm. I can make a world with this. Yeah. Like I can we can like, you know, I love like I love you and we can make a world for mm -hmm. us with the with this connection that we've created here and it yeah. probably starts with softy pants and pizza and maybe a couple cats later <laughs> i you think know? you should write a dating book now i do too <laughs> and it's called softy pants and pizza can we order a calzone by abby krisner <laughs> i love that i love that a lot and i think you spoke to something because um just like over the years like through different partnerships I, I feel like it does take that level of safety and security to like even be able to make the decision for yourself. I mean, and I'm not saying this is for everyone that, okay, some people just know they want to have kids. They're like, this yeah. is, this is what I do. I've even heard in other situations where people feel like this is like their duty in life is yes. to have children. I'm like, okay, cool. That's your bag. Do your thing. Like, we, we don't need more people anymore, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
but then I think they're like I've been in the camp like I knew going through my 20s based on like childhood trauma that I was like nope I'm not having kids at all like mm-hmm. fuck this and then was slightly convinced that no this is what I have to do and yeah. then swung back and being like meh maybe but not with you yeah I think the, yeah yeah but not with you is also <laughs> like something that's come up in the past where I was like maybe we're supposed to but like yeah you know what actually that reminds the supposed to and we can get back to, into the kid thing if you want I think I feel like that's a no l- I like the supposed to we can do whatever the supposed yeah. to before Joe um I was dating somebody because I had gone through the, the tortured artist stuff. Mm-hmm. And and this was the first time I was dating like a nice guy. Mm. Nice brand. Nice guy who wants to be nice and not mean. <laughs> and I was like, well, maybe that's what I've been doing wrong. Mm. So I'll try this. And in trying that, like we had moved in together, but it was like very like, I guess we'll move in together. Mm. And then it was like talking about getting married and going like i guess that's what we're supposed to do mm-hmm. and so at one point again joe had not moved to texas yet so we um he and i were like playing guitar with each other like once a weekend because we had had this idea that we were gonna like start a metal band together yeah. which is the cutest thing <laughs> like, yeah. um and so he would come over like when that boyfriend would like go off to work and everything, Joe would come over and we'd sit with like some beers and we would play guitar for like 20 minutes and then go eat somewhere <laughs> and like, just like, you know, not actually play guitar, um, mm-hmm. which I should have known then we just enjoyed so deeply spending time t- mm-hmm. with each other. But like, I get kind of blinders when I'm in a relationship anyway, sure. but I remember at one point um, I had asked Joe because he was seeing somebody um, that he had just like met on a dating app or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I said, so let's give her a name. Let Jenny or whatever be like, so how are things going with Jenny? And he would be like, they're fine. Mm. And I, I always said, oh, okay. Oh, how are things going with Derek? And I'm like, they're good. And then he said, do you <laughs> think you'll get married? Wow. And I said, I don't know. It kind of feels like we're supposed to. Oh, shit. Like, what a gross answer. Terrible. What a gross answer. Do you Did you feel like you realized that in the moment? Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm. <laughs> I went, uh-oh. And then, yeah. like, fast forward maybe a couple months after, like, that conversation, which obviously stuck with me, um, Joe was had decided he was going to move to Texas, and we had a goodbye party for him. And mm-hmm. he wrote me a card, and in the card, I... You know, I read it in my car. I bawled my eyes out. And Mm. then I went home and my boyfriend was like sleeping in bed and he was just like so not Joe. Mm. And I went in the bathroom by myself and cried for like another hour before I like got into bed and just went like, what the what am I doing? Right. What am I doing? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I I feel like sometimes like, you know, I mean, obviously everything worked out with you and Joe, but I feel like even sometimes and I had these moments where you kind of just sometimes need people to remind you that like whatever you're doing right now doesn't have to be that thing. Yeah. You know, um, like I never cheated on my ex-husband, but like I had this, like it was, it was a very emotional relationship, but not like in that way, I guess I'm trying to like figure out how to say this properly, but I feel like he just reminded me that there are other people out there. 
I, I've had exists. relationships where I needed my friendships so deeply mm-hmm. and so badly and required more of my friendships because the relationship that yeah. I was in was not meeting the need. Right. So I, I do get that. It's like you can have these emotional connections with other people being like, why is this such a deep connection? And why can't my partner be like a little bit like that? And yeah. Being like, You're like a scotch. Because it's not them. <laughs> <laughs> They're the yeah. wrong person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> If you sing oh, it, it's man. less it's less catastrophic to your yeah. soul. <laughs> yeah, I cry just a little bit less when you sing it. <laughs> um Yeah. I, I found that so interesting. Um so obligation though, I feel like but that's another one of those things that do you I, I kind of look at things now. I say to myself, I'm like, yeah, Megan, you're gonna learn better faster. So the next relationship where I like start feeling these things it's only gonna be like two months in because i'm just gonna learn better faster yeah and not let it go on for two years plus or whatever um but i think it's like trusting your instincts now but i look at things now also as that obligation i mentioned it related to work but i also do it in life it's like if i feel obligated to give that person my energy i feel like it sticks out but i was curious if there's any other things like instinctually that maybe have that you kind of learned over the years that either were triggers where you're like okay i need to address this right now that was a very ambiguous question that we could take in a million different directions but is there anything that pops out to you things that i learned that triggered me i'm trying to think um I think like playing pretend for other people is like the biggest thing that I have learned to strip away. Mm. Um, And it goes, it it now like, you know, the things that we've brought up, it not only applies to those relationships, work and my therapy, as I Mm -hmm. said, like I no longer have to preserve who you think I am to protect you. Sure. Right. One of the things that we'll work on in therapy and, you know, it's taking a really long time is that like when I am in as when I'm in a situation that feels threatening to me, that can be a coworker that is a yeller mm, <laughs> or that yeah. can be um, a hyper dominant male or that mm-hmm. can be like, you know, somebody that I think is like trying to do something underhand to me. Like I send something that's a trigger. The, the, my response, my protective armor is sarcasm. Okay. And I've realized it's because there is a depth of anger in me mm-hmm. that I feel like I will protect them from the anger if I am sarcastic. Okay. And now I don't feel like that serves me anymore. Sure. It just wastes time. So did you, how did you still learn how in ways, not really to harness it, but to allow it to come out? but like still be, I guess, effective to get your point across. So this is what it actually is. It's walking away when you don't have control. Sure. Okay. So it's going like, I'm, I'm not in a position to have this conversation with you right now. Mm -hmm. Give me a minute. Yeah. And then you can go back and you do You kind of like shadow box the sarcasm be like, Oh yeah, I'm going to say that. That's going to get them. Um, (laughs) But then you can kind of like, Because you are also answering your anger for yourself. So you're going, what am I actually pissed about? Sure. Is it your tone? Why does the tone bother me? What's wrong with your tone? Mm -hmm. Okay, your tone reminds me of this. Mm -hmm. Why did that bother me? That bothered me because that made me feel insignificant. Why Mm -hmm. does being insignificant bother me? Okay, it makes me feel insignificant because, you know, and then you can go down to, to the stud of it. Right. And then just go... When you say something like that to me in that tone, 
you're telling me you don't respect my opinion. You don't respect what I think about something. And that makes me feel like we have nowhere to go. Right. Because we're not on equal footing. Mm -hmm. Next time you want to talk to me about something, I expect that you will come to me with a genuine, actionable Mm -hmm. complaint or insight, but not like that. You will not yell at me. Do you feel like you are able to more comfortably have these hard conversations with people now that you kind of like learned how to break it down as to like, why did this actually impact me? Yes. I, I actually love that. And I've told some, I told somebody about this when it came to like writing lyrics. I had a friend that was like playing guitar and like wanted to um, start writing their own lyrics Okay, and said something to the effect of like, I just don't know how to write lyrics. Mm -hmm. And I, remember telling them the way you write lyrics is that you tell the truth but then you tell the truth again and mm-hmm. then you tell the truth some more and then you tell oh, the truth some more you tell the truth some more and so um you know you might start with something that's like i'm a punk rocker dude <laughs> and, then, uh, and then four layers deep you're like i'm just a child and i want somebody to take care of me you know yeah and so you that's but that's like kind of what it is and what i think is so cool with therapy and deducing from what you learn in therapy is that there's always like another layer you can get down to and you're in that layer somewhere. Mm-hmm. So it's, and, and what I've found personally is that in a lot of ways that whenever I have a difficult interaction with somebody that mm-hmm. I perceive to be threatening yeah, is that at the stud, there's some part of me that has invited the threat. Sure. has allowed that person mm. to see that I am to be threatened or hmm. I am to be taken for granted or I am to be hmm. assumed that I won't follow through on versus it being like their own projection of yeah. their own insecurities. Even. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, it's, I, there's definitely like people that come at you and, mm. the, and I think that's the other thing too. This, that's a strength in therapy is sometimes people will do something and you go, this is you. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I hear what you're saying mm-hmm. to me, but it is only making you feel better because you're addressing your stuff mm-hmm. right now and you don't know where to put it. There was a conversation with a family member. They like called, we had had a, a bad fight and in the morning they'd called and were a mile a minute in apologetic things, but not an apology. Mm, like, okay. a, I really want to take you out, blah, 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 blah. And you know, okay. blah, 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 and like all these other things. And, I had that person on speakerphone and Joe put up a piece of paper that he wrote on and just said, this person is manic right now. Mm. And I was like listening to them go and everything. And then we got done with the conversation and they had offered me like three or four things, okay. but never an apology. Wow. And I remember Joe said, that is the closest thing you're going to get to an apology from that person because that's how they made themselves feel better. Mm-hmm. And so like, again, He's in therapy. I'm in therapy. Like these things just start to have a Rosetta stone, Mm, you know, where you just go like, oh, I can leave that conversation where it was because I have nothing to do with it. Yeah. I have nothing to do with it. There's no work for me to do here. That was their work. That's how they worked it out this morning. Mm -hmm. I have nothing actionable to take from that conversation. I guess I'll go on a bike ride. (laughs) 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 I like that. I like that a lot. I to dive like slightly more in something you said, and you maybe touched on it a while ago. Is I think something I've been seeing in therapy a lot is that almost every of my triggers come from some sort of childhood trauma. They do, and like 
it was this past winter that, and I know I've mentioned this on the episode, but I don't think specifically to you that it's just, I actually had like really, really tough time dealing with some stuff that I knew was rooted in my childhood Mm -hmm. with some family members. And I just was doing this meditation that I was altering. So, um, and I wanted to ask you about your, any mindfulness practice you have just based on some things you say, but, uh, yeah, the practice was like conversations with your future self that I was basically kind of then putting myself in the future self person talking to my younger self. Yeah. And kind of being that thing. And I mean, literally for like two or three weeks crying every single morning doing this practice, but like going there. And I walked away from that. Just just something felt a little bit more complete. You know, like, and I can't really like express besides that I just felt better. Like I knew that at that moment that I was being the person that I needed and it it was really, really healing. How empowering is that? Because you are the same person, but yeah, that you given the choice would take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, there was no constructs to it. I love that. Yeah. And I mean, I think my hope for the future with other relationships is that like talk about safety and security that. I, it has built me to be a person where I don't let a lot of people do things for me. So, but my hope is that, and, and I'm, I guess being optimistic about everything is that finding that safety and security, I know can break down those walls that yeah. I just haven't experienced yet. The doing things for others, you know, and going back into mothering mm-hmm. and stuff too, I think, um, I definitely did that. Mm-hmm. And what I realized is that like you kind of neuter somebody when they don't let them help you. Yeah. Yeah. You take the you take away mm-hmm. some aspect of their personality and their life experience that could be immense for you, that could sure. be like fruitful and beautiful for you. Mm-hmm. But you don't let them do it because you take away the need for them to do it. Mm-hmm. So I've seen you know, in the last few years, like, you know, friends that are in maybe more like traditional codependent relationships. Mm -hmm. And those people like tend to protect their partner from themselves, like saying like, you're a mess. So I'm going to make sure that I clean up everything around you. Mm. But then it makes that partner's plight even worse because they never have to work through it. And they just get to sit in the stew of still not loving themselves and wondering why nothing ever gets better. It's mm-hmm. like because you cut off their arms and legs and basically told them to sit there. Yep. I feel like you just explained all of my last two relationships <laughs> to a T. But th- but that's really what it was. But it also was that like when I would ask for things in those situations and they wouldn't happen, I was like, well, but they were telling me really what they were willing to do as yeah. well. So it, it was a slight of both. Like, I think it got better in my last one. But I just at that point, I wouldn't let them. And yeah. but like, I totally recognize that. And I think it's really healthy to work through that I have worked on i see it more at work now where i let people do things for me at work i don't feel as bad yeah. when i'm like hey can you do this hey can you help me like asking for those things and watching them happen i think i can already feel it like giving me more confidence and that's why i think the optimism is there to have like once i'm in a secure situation like and someone shows that like what they're through their actions showing what they're capable of doing that I could probably get there and let people do things. But yeah, it's just one of those things I know it's like lingering and existing. And it comes into play now at work for sure. Now I have a crew of people that I can say like, here's what I need from you. And the joy now is letting the reins go and letting them do it. And then being able to go, you're freaking rock star i can't believe you did that like how cool is that and saying like okay that grew that person more than Mm -hmm. me going um it's really hard i'll just do it Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
Yeah. You know? Yeah. I definitely saw that change at work too. Just like even going from like my last job at rock bottom to now where I, I used to try to protect people from making mistakes. And mm. now I like walk into being like, you're going to make the mistakes. I'll tell you the anecdotes. I'll tell you how I fucked up. You can try to avoid it, but I know you're probably going to make the mistake and that's okay. Yeah. But then when you're able to do something that I've asked, even without me asking it, like, I feel like it's a really good feeling. Like, even if it is kind of like a motherly thing, I'm just like, oh, my God, you guys fucking killed it. Like, I love love hyping people up. Like, like, it makes me really happy. And I think my team now, though, like, they kind of give me that space to do that as well. Like, I walked into this job, didn't have to prove a damn thing to anyone. They were like, cool, Meg's here. Let's party. And it's just gotten better over time. Yeah. You know, so that mothering too, like even with Edie, it's kind of fun. Like, oh, yeah, I try to be for her who I wanted or what I needed. And so like, you know, she feels sad or angry or dramatic over something. Mm -hmm. I and you know we'll we'll find out someday whether this is good strategy or not you know i figure we're all gonna end up in therapy there's no reason for me to pretend like i'm gonna do something that's gonna keep her out of therapy like whatever i do there will be a pendulum of things i didn't do that she'll be like why didn't you do that then but like she will become more comfortable enough to talk to you about it probably by that i hope so but like she like can be very very dramatic and i that the learned response for me is to go knock it off stop it okay Mm -hmm. that doesn't work like no okay and now i go you look really upset do you want to go take a break couldn't you go in your room be up be up there as long as you need and when you feel like talking come on back down that's cool and then she knows she comes back down i'm like do you want to start over yeah i want to start over and i'm like okay let's do that because to me like now i'm going i don't want her to learn that what she feels is something to feel bad about. Mm, yeah. No matter how stupid it is. Right. Um, or how small it is in the grand scheme of things. Sure. I should say not that it's stupid, but like of just being like, if you feel that way, mm-hmm. that's that completely fine to feel that way. And I'm not in charge of shortening the duration for you. It's not, I'm not your like, you know, mommy's whatever that Zycam thing is or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not, yeah. I can't shorten this for you. Like right. this just is what it is. Like, yeah. um, I love that so much. Cause I feel like I see like the A to Z on that. And hopefully, well, you can revisit this in how many years and maybe yeah. she communicates really well. But what I think she's learning is like, she can go feel what she needs to feel, but to like actually communicate, she does have to get herself like yeah. kind of out of that mode by herself though yeah so she's like learning that self-soothing but in a safe environment self-soothing too, because she's an only child and i'm like gonna be like listen there's not a little brother you can smack <laughs> you know <laughs> you can't you can't put that energy somewhere else right. so you better figure out like how do i talk to myself right like how do i get this under control like maybe punch hello kitty i don't know but <laughs> like how do i get this under control so i can be understood yeah mm-hmm that's really, really cool. I like that a lot. I feel like I wish I had more experience like talking about kids and stuff like that because I'm so intrigued, though, how parenting is going these days. It's wild. Yeah. There's days that the other thing with Edie, honestly, too, is that I've learned to be more honest with her because I think there's like, uh, you know, and there, there, here we go with mothering again. But like um, protecting her from me is not realistic. Right. So um, the last, like, even this past week sucked. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I, you know, I, I go like I kind of go up and down with anxiety and depression. It's sure. like it kind of has yeah. it's the wave and mm-hmm. I get really, really productive, great periods of time. And then I get times that I'm just a fucking potato and I'm just sitting here and I'm just like, nothing feels like anything. Yeah. And I will, you know, get her from school mm-hmm. and she she wants to play all the time. She's sure. an up kind of person too she's like calico critters let's make a story oh my god let's do something (laughs) and i remember saying like i edie i don't want to play right now Mm -hmm. okay i have a lot on my mind i at least have one more hour of work to do so i need you to either watch something on tv or you have to play by yourself and Mm -hmm. oh no i don't want to play by myself and everything and she said did you not sleep (laughs) and i said uh does mommy seem like she's in a bad mood to you and she said Yes. And I said, I am in a bad mood, Edie. Mm. And it's nothing that you did. I just don't feel like my best self right now. Have you ever felt like that? Mm. She's like, yeah, I guess so. And I'm like, well, I, I just feel a little down. It's like one of those days, if I could just stay in my room, I probably would. But I really want to spend time with you, too. I feel like if I could finish some work and I wouldn't have to think about that, maybe you and I would have more fun tonight. Mm. okay be like thanks buddy you know and then like let her go off and do her thing but i'm kind of like you know when she says like like my grandmother died recently and and Edie will say things like i i i miss her and i don't know that Edie understands what that even means sure you know it's just something that she's regurgitating because i have said i missed her and i sure i miss her too it makes me really sad and i'm thinking about it a lot sure be like i'm okay and then she just like will hug me or something like that where she just wow. like sees the perception of being like, oh, you're sad. We hug people when we're sad. Yeah. You know, that's great. But like, you know, the other version of that is me going, I'm fine, honey. No, honey, I'm fine. What do you No, I'm fine. Don't worry right. about it. Or being like, hey, go, just go to your room or like, go, don't do something else. OK, just yeah. give me a minute. Yeah. You know, there could be a totally other version of that where I just don't dig in deep with her. Yeah. And just tell her to get out of my hair. Yeah. I feel like the emotional intelligence through that communication is setting her up for so much success because i feel like when kids like they don't have the words and the knowledge to understand like actually true emotions but it but they do like it's 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 raw it's real and i think like it comes from this place that we as like adults like somehow block out or build out yeah you know and so i i think it's really cool i feel like it's like even in those interactions it almost sounds like she she may not fully understand it but you're setting her up to understand it and i think like even through so. tone and like body language i think does a lot yeah. because i think if especially if you're a very empathetic person or emotionally intelligent you can feel things differently and i know, i know i've experienced that and i think that's what's even part of that big puzzle i've talked about where someone doesn't always have to say something it could be how they say it or like a shortness of what they're saying to know that something else is going on there mm-hmm. yeah. and um like it's allowed me to i think have better communication with people being able to see that so i just want to say oh my gosh yeah, this makes I, me so happy that like people can exist and create better humans that <laughs> I hope can communicate so. you know I hope so. awesome. we keep telling her she's got a lot of work to do we're like you know we just be like <laughs> i hope all right Edie, we you're gonna have to save the world here so <laughs> No crash. Atlas Let's over here. See what Hold you can do. Yeah. <laughs> Hold it up, girl. You got it. <laughs> I, I wanted to touch on it, but 
you allude like some things you say are like reminding me of different things when I talk about mindfulness or like meditation. I was curious if not even just with meditation or do you have any other like routines or practices maybe related to that or not um, that you kind of maintain for yourself? Um, I I do. Um, mindfulness oddly is not necessarily one of them in the more conventional ways of like sitting and meditating it was yeah. kind of funny i think in therapy i this was definitely more pandemic time yeah where i was trying for mindfulness where i was like listening to podcasts and listening to a lot of like deepak chopra and like trying to like garden <laughs> and listening to like you know the sounds of the ocean when i was going to bed and mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff and trying to find that space where i could meditate and what I actually noticed is that it worked me up more. Oh. So this is kind of weird. And it's kind of like a choose your own adventure thing. I think what I kind of recognize not to like um, be dramatic about it is that I am an empathetic person and I do whatever like, um, you know, gauge in me that feels things mm -hmm. already feels them pretty intensely. Sure. And so the idea of meditating and being mindful almost ticked it in the wrong direction where sure. it was like too much feeling mm -hmm. and too much over processing of things. I wish those kids would shut up, <laughs> um, but like too much over processing of things that made it unhealthy. Sure. It was almost like inviting the spiral. In I think a way. it can also be really intimidating to walk into when you like, because I think I did this at first. I'm like, stop thinking, stop thinking, let the thought. Okay. You have a thought. Go. Okay. Let it go. It's like, yeah. no, no, but they just like keep coming. I don't know how to let this go. And I would find myself go through days and days and days of like going through a meditation practice and like, I couldn't shut it down. Yes. And so it got very frustrating. Yeah. I had uh, one session once where I meditated and I felt like I was floating and I've mm -hmm. never been able to do it again. This may make people think I'm weird now, but like, again, it was through a TikTok video that I discovered that this was a, a thing that existed. Um, like back in like the six, maybe it's like earlier in that sixties, like the CIA was actually doing studies on like meditation and like actual projection and shit like yes. that. And it, they came out with this whole series that I do own. And, uh, because I was curious, I was just sure. like, I was already balls deep and like liking meditation and seeing the benefits of it. But I did like the first session and like the process that they take you through of like you're almost like you're syncing up your brain and you're using a lot of like sound waves to kind of do that. Sure. That was one of the weirdest meditating experiences because I literally felt like I was floating like because I was like doing this like humming practice. And it, in, in theory, way it's, it's supposed to sync up your like left and right brain so that it I don't know, almost puts you on like a different like, sure. plane. And I remember laying there and like getting done with it, going downstairs and like telling my ex-boyfriend, I'm like, uh, I don't know what just happened, but I, I liked it. it. My body felt like almost numb, like I couldn't feel anything, but like not in a bad way. And yes. it was almost like you were hypnotized, yes. I guess, in ways it felt like. But um, that's the only time I like that's ever happened. But it was weird. I had a hot yoga class and the teacher afterwards said, if anybody wants to stay for meditation, you may. And two people stayed and I was one of them. Okay. And it was like a seated meditation mm -hmm. and I, it was, you know, guided meditation. And I just got there. Mm -hmm. I just got there where I was above the room. I was mm -hmm. above the room 
the earth was a blue speck. It was like really what that this little or this illusion that's like promised about like how meditation should always feel. Mm-hmm. And it was the only time I ever got there. This probably like 10 years ago. Wow. So but like now what I realize is that like it, it depends. I have moments that I can ground myself. Mm-hmm. But what I, I remember talking to my therapist after I had tried the meditation stuff and I said, I'm like, I feel like all I'm doing is spiraling because then I'm like really in my body. And then I feel like my chest is thumping a little bit. And then mm-hmm. I'm wondering if I'm having a heart attack. And then I'm also like, what if I was the one 37 year old who had a very, very healthy diet and lifestyle and also died of a heart attack for no reason. And my therapist <laughs> oh, was God. like, yeah, don't meditate anymore. <laughs> like, don't do that then. Yeah. But I do ground myself. So mm-hmm. a couple days ago I was driving. I, I still can can get like panic attacks in the car every once in a while, okay. which is like a weird. Um, I wish I totally understood the source of that. But sure. I'm in the car, and when I was driving, I I said to myself, "I'm very stressed out about work. I feel very stressed out about some family stuff. I am okay. I am safe. I am in control of this, and this moment will pass." Nothing is going to happen to me. Mm-hmm. And then I just kept driving. I, I love that because I feel like those are, I'll, I'll tell an anecdote there, but I feel like there are different like little tools I think you learn even when you just get exposed to that. Yeah. And like, I, it almost sounds like you're getting, you got really present with like what was exactly going on. Yeah. And I've found that I don't, I don't have like a regular meditation practice at all, but I use it like I feel like when I need it. Yeah. Um, this was probably least three or four weeks ago where I had a situation happen at work and my guys got pissed off at me and they started like it was like some drama that they were starting but like I was somehow to blame here and I was just like I had never gone to that point where I was so angry at them where I was like you know what I'm gonna walk away drove to a park Bruce and I walked into the <laughs> park I found a a picnic table in front of like a soccer field and I sat there for like a half hour and I just like told myself different affirmations got real present with like exactly how I was feeling and then went back to work and I was like cool yeah like you know you can you can change your mindset but I also think like really focusing no matter what emotions you're feeling whether they're positive or negative but getting present with like what they are has this like really calming effect it totally does it's empowering because you're uh kind of the best version of you going into war going into battle like going into a situation that otherwise would trigger you to either you know fight or flight right so you're removing the polarity and going right down the middle Mm. so you have a better chance of success that way and i love that you did that i think there was like i had a really like years ago really bad day at work where i think i quit (laughs) i think i had a fight with the with the big honcho and i'm pretty sure i quit and i like did the same thing i drove Mm -hmm. to a park and i sat in silence and Mm -hmm. i let myself cry and i let myself like have a tantrum basically Mm -hmm. and then got out of that also drove to Cold Stone and got myself an ice cream. Mm, yeah, a little self-care a little, there. A little different self-care. <laughs> and then like went in the next day and said, okay, I don't quit. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I don't quit. I lied. <laughs> yeah, I lied. Thought about it. <laughs> That's awesome. That's great. Holy crap. So we didn't touch any of the questions that I asked. I <laughs> you said to like... you. So I'm really happy about that. that yeah, I no, feel but then so you bad. know you had a good conversation. Right? No, uh, this has been really awesome 
<laughs> I still so I want to we're like probably almost an hour and a half in which is awesome and I feel like we should definitely revisit this for a part two and whatnot yeah um so I'm gonna do my not so rapid fire questions okay. and then uh we'll probably wrap up with how we met too because like oh we didn't even talk we about didn't that. talk about how we met people are just like these two ladies <sighs> these two ladies. what are they these doing these two broads <laughs> <laughs> um, or we can start there too, because I feel like that's just such a fun story in like how I feel so connected with you without like I feel like us I felt connected to you immediately when I saw you. Yeah. Um and I was jealous too. Because <laughs> I met Meg and she was in full corpse paint. Full corpse paint. Full corpse paint for uh brutal beer festival. We came in with a championship belt. Yeah. And it was just like when you see somebody that walks towards you that um the 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 big feeling that i had on you with was authenticity and fearlessness Mm. because i was too like let's put it like just on a superficial level Mm -hmm. meeting somebody the for the first time in fucking corpse paint (laughs) like like, this seems like my people like yeah no i mean but it's also saying like i don't give a shit if you know what i look like i don't care what you think i look like this is how i'm arriving today because i got something to do like it was just very like mission oriented and it was like unapologetically wonderful and bold and i just immediately was like i don't have the balls for that i got Mm -hmm. upset i did a halloween costume once and they took away my eyebrows and i was upset for like three days about it (laughs) (laughs) because i was like oh my god everyone's gonna hate me now yeah they're gonna say what happened to your eyebrows i think Um, it's really cool that you like you saw those things because i feel like i wasn't fully there yet and i even slightly don't i feel closer to that person that you probably now yeah because they were in there yeah they're always there and i feel like that was such a cool moment to like really have to get outside of my comfort zone. But it also go back to the practice of like, okay, you, you need to like put yourself just like slightly over the line each time, just keep going. And I feel like showing up being video recorded. It wasn't like, it was was literally going to live for a little while. You weren't going to like walk away from it. I feel like when I put out this episode, I need to find that video. Uh, I hope that you do. I know that I don't, (laughs) I know that I don't have it. So I hope that you do because I would love to see that. But also like, I think what was, really nice about that is that like you know there's a set amount like there's an expectation of what kind of music that we will like more regularly talk about on the x and also Mm -hmm. what music will play and so you guys gave me a chance to go oh my god you like this too yeah we can talk about this like and it also kind of like reminded me that on the air that i'm allowed to talk about if i like sure heavy metal like i don't have again don't have to protect anybody from me sure and so just being like yeah that is who i like and yes i had like in addition to like into like some crazy like black metal stuff i also have all of the kiss action figures like this is who (laughs) i am i don't know i don't know how it was ever dateable quite honestly but um (laughs) here we are um but yeah, no, that was my first impression of you. And I was just like, oh, this is great. And then every time that we met after that, like, um, I also have always sensed a depth in you mm-hmm. that um, is is safe space because um, I've always felt alienated with um, other people and like other uh, females, to be quite honest, just mm-hmm. because like sometimes I feel like I'm too much. Mm. And so I can like replay every time I've met like, sure. uh, you know. God, I don't want to sound dismissive, but some people just don't need more than here. They don't need sure. more than that surface level yeah. thing. And so t- sometimes you come at them with like a dark 
joke yeah and they stare at you and they're like you're weird <laughs> and you want to be like oh the fact that you just said that means like uh, i uh, i hate yeah. you now but and i think that's cool but uh ugh. you touch i feel like you're saying something without directly saying it and it's like but we've already talked about it it's like sometimes people are always just gonna be over here in this box and that's okay that's okay and that's their box i think like creating those boxes for people and that people please are like moving past it it's like okay you can stay over there i Do don't need like, i don't need to watch, like netflix shows and movies now of like mm-hmm. the teenagers who are in high school who are oh, disliked yeah. and they love that they're disliked and they're always like yeah fuck you and everything you're like no kids like that exist yes, like no they don't one. exist i wish that's what i, I would know. have been like whenever i was going through that and being like okay i'm maybe a misfit and that's what's the greatest thing about me maybe it's us ref- like re they're doing that so that us as adults can get into that because you're I like this is, is what i absolutely wish it is. i would have been like yes. like if i wasn't a, a child now as i am now then i would be so badass and i would have told everyone to go fuck themselves That's what it is. on a regular basis and not been the most awkward child out it there. is hit a couple of patches where like somebody's not nice to her mm-hmm. and like it's taking everything in my and joe's power to go tell that kid to go fuck themselves you know whatever it is. <laughs> so it's like you know the kind of thing we're just like well some people like you know i think that she's going through something that doesn't have anything to do with you so just act like you don't care and it'll you'll get through the storm i feel like it'd be really fun to come up with ways for her to like tell someone to go fuck themselves without using those exact words and then that kid goes what home the kid version of that yeah, what was the kid version? like I, I think i saw another video it's like someone rephrasing fuck around and find out <laughs> <laughs> but it was just like um i think you need to like reflect on whatever it was i'll define it and send it to you but Please i was just do. like we can we can we can flip we can figure this out yeah you know oh my god but it's that. like too complicated for their brains so they don't even think it like understand <laughs> it's an insult yeah but i was gonna say like back is that i i find like through more of our conversations and the more we get to know one another that it's really surprising um like what is all there because i feel like you are so great about almost like naturally being vulnerable and out there and putting yourself out there that i felt instantly comfortable with you thank you that i it was almost it was like disarming yeah i was like okay i don't have to be anything else than like what i am yeah and she's going to be very accepting and open and honest back and i've just i feel like i found that continuously to be true yeah i just yeah I, I appreciate hearing that i just i like it when people get messy i just it's so much more interesting oh yeah you know than than somebody giving you like the shiny you know shiny version of them i don't know that's just so boring to me and i i you know i still have relationships with people that i'm like are we ever gonna get deeper than this because this has been like seven years (laughs) like are you ever gonna tell me anything (laughs) i think i've slowly evolved over the years like i remember when i first lived here in pittsburgh like 2009 to 2010 i had this acknowledgement like conscious acknowledgement of how much i appreciated having one-on-one relationships with people and that I don't mind being in group settings where we like whatever, but I felt like it was, I had less good times in that or like more surface level times. And it's slowly evolved over the years that right now I like hate small talk. I hate small talk. I have no energy for it. Yeah. If I have to just be like, Oh, Hey, how's it going? Oh yeah. Good. Yeah. No, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. That's great. I feel icky now. There was okay. Jagged little pill. Alanis Morissette. (laughs) <laughs> okay, there's a line in the album, and I can't remember what song it was, but there's, I think it's All I Really Want or something like that, but, like, there's a song where she goes, why are you so terrified of silence? Here, can you handle this? Yeah! And there's, like, a moment where, like, it pauses and everything, you're like, mm-hmm. um, And I used to, again, always fill the negative space. 
Yeah. And if like I'm in an elevator with salespeople now, I'm just like, I don't have to say anything to you. Right. Uh, not, not that like all salespeople are bad, but like, you know, sometimes they always want to be like, how's your daughter? Is she big now? Oh, how was school? Did you cry? Did you cry when she went to school? And you're just going to be like, you shut up, dude. Like all of your salespeople are from the Midwest. Too. Yeah, you know, they're always like, so what did you guys do this weekend? <laughs> Stuart! Or- Stuart! <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I'm with you on that. I just don't care. Like, Mm -hmm. I just would rather somebody get messy with me. That's all. Yeah. And but I I think like once you're able to start recognizing your own bullshit, you can start seeing other people that like, you know, and I I do think there are people that just aren't capable of getting there. And but that's okay. But I feel like when you do see it and people aren't, you know, you're just like, okay, well, there's probably a lot to unpack that I really, really want to hear about because you're you know like when you're like i see i see it i see that like deep stuff because but i also and this is why i I love this podcast is i have gotten to like get stickier with people like real fast and have found that no one has a problem with it that i ask that is good (laughs) it's been really cool good i do there's something generational too about a lot of our you know kind of crew that i think um just doesn't see the big deal anymore yeah like doesn't see the point of lying about this stuff. And you go into back like to TikTok, there's like, you know, uh neurotypical like TikToks and stuff that you yeah. can watch that and be like, oh God, I'm so glad that somebody like finally decided mm-hmm. that this is a real thing that happens and sometimes is hilarious to live with. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? For sure. That's crazy. Well, we should probably wrap this up. Yes. But I wanna like give you at least space that if you were to like walk away from this and you want someone to like walk away with one thing. What might you want to leave the people with? We've talked about a lot. Yeah. Um, There is a difference between being good and being nice. And being nice sucks. Mm. Because sometimes you do things and you do a ton of gymnastics, both mental and otherwise, to be nice to somebody Mm -hmm. and to do nice things for them. But if... um, at the root of it, what you are doing is not good for them. Then being nice is actually really shitty. Yeah. So be good, not nice. I like that. <laughs> I'm gonna like just make bumper stickers of, yes. of stuff like that. Yeah, do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Do you want to plug anything as well? Absolutely not. No. Just kidding. <laughs> um, well, um, at Abby Cadex on um, Instagram which is good for um, not only the X, but it's good for music stuff too. And then mm. general, general goofiness from both Joe and I. Um, and then um, I am in a band called tiny wars. Um, and it is the most delicious power pop. And I've never played that before in my life. It's always been, <laughs> it's always been like very, again, aggressive. Um, I've, I've played like, you know, alternative rock, heavy metal punk metal death metal and like now i am in the most like sugary sweet saccharine band ever and it's like a completely different guitar style for me so i've learned a lot in it yeah i heard Um, you talk with jesse is saying that like you're really enjoying it too because you're you're like playing someone else's music in ways like you just get to kind of come in and have fun thanks for listening to that by the way (laughs) um yeah it is it's sue 
the um she was the drummer now she's actually doing guitar oh my god and that's singing amazing. and they're her songs sure. right so it's it's like this responsibility to like take what she is trying to get across and like bring it to life and everything so it's really great but like almost every band i've ever been on i've had all my knobs at noon and I just crank the shit up and it's just <laughs> yeah. like very distorted and there's a, there's like something to hide behind there sure. too and now i'm playing like clean like very very yeah. clean very few pedals it's extremely vulnerable it requires a lot more accuracy from me mm -hmm. and i didn't think that post child that there was going to be any additional progression for me as a musician. Oh, wow. And so, like, this is a treat. That's I'm cool. I'm like, I didn't think I was going to get, like, any different or any better. You know, mm -hmm. and better is probably, you know, objective or subjective, whatever. Um, but I just didn't think there was going to be any more to learn. Sure. And now that I've gotten into this uncomfortable place, mm. now I'm like, no, there's lots of learning. Yeah. And so I'm really excited. We'll play October 22nd at the Whisper Nest november 11th at mr smalls and i think that's it for now we'll, oh, we'll see how that goes with yeah. how shows are going and just fingers crossed fingers crossed yeah. I, yeah i'm very hopeful i've been to a couple shows what i do like about going to mr smalls though is like they're being super anal about like make sure you have your vaccination card Good. or you're going to get tested they actually have testing on site i don't know if you saw that that's great i saw a couple yeah. of of festivals that were like we're going to offer testing on site like yeah. you should take advantage of it even if you don't think you know right you know if you especially if you don't have a vaccination card like if you're at any like suspicious at all go do it and i'm like yeah. that is fantastic listen the music industry i know people get really like whacked out on how they feel about all of this yeah but the music industry it, it's a house of cards and if right. it has to shut down how many people you fuck over right is just the, it goes all the way down the line so just yeah. don't fuck anybody over yeah <laughs> i i feel like I, I saw a video the other day just about like how many tours and i mean i've already experienced like was had tickets for red fang and that one's already canceled and yeah. i'm just like this this sucks but this is like gonna be the reality that they're going to so many different places and this is just like the nature of the beast they have how many to times be... you're gonna reload the gun man like yeah. every once in a while like yeah. it's gonna happen yeah so yeah you know I feel like music really right now, or even just art, like, I feel like we're just going to wrap things up, but I like want to touch on this briefly. It's like, I feel like right now, even like post like all of last year, realizing how much creativity, whether it's music, whether it's like some form of art is so fucking important yeah. and to like have an existence around us and the only way that like it's going to be able to exist is like if we give a fuck about one another in a way absolutely let's yeah. walk each other home you yeah. know mm -hmm. cool well, that's a good way to wrap it up <laughs> thank you so much again i had yeah, so much fun on this i talk. love this i feel like that's i awesome. owe you a copay <laughs> <laughs> you're like the second person who said i felt like this was therapy and i'm like you know what yeah it is let's do this 